0: All right, we are in 1 John chapter 5. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open there, 1 John chapter 5. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand in the air. Someone will bring one to you so you can follow along with us. Uh, you're able to keep that Bible if you need it. Got a couple up here on the front row. Uh, if, you, if you'd like, you can keep that Bible. But uh, 1 John chapter 5, this is the last uh, chapter in this particular book. So we're going to be finishing up another book of the Bible, which is always exciting for me. Uh, because that means we get to start a new book, which is always exciting as well. Uh, but it's also just good to feel like you have a little bit of completion. Uh, as we've been going through First John chapter 5, this repetitive but important theme that we would know that we have eternal life uh, can become pretty powerful. Uh, it gets very... Um, uh, John MacArthur says it like this. He says that uh, uh, in, in the Gospel of John, it's cyclical. There's these cycles of of preaching the same message kind of over and over and over again as you go through this book, um, but it kind of hinges on this idea that you can know that you have eternal life because of your confession of faith in Jesus Christ and your love for others. and that gets repeated kind of all throughout the book. We saw it in First John chapter two and chapter three and chapter four, and now in chapter five. Uh, each time it puts a little bit of a new twist on it, uh, this time when we get to it. Uh, and we're going to recognize this twist is, first of all, that you've overcome the world, but now it gives you confidence to stand before God when you pray. So it can take you from this place of a lack of assurance to a place where you know, and then you know so much that you have the confidence to stand before God, to bring your requests before Him. It's a pretty powerful thing. Um, I think what, what we need to remember is that this life is hard. I don't know if anybody else has noticed that. It's just something I've noticed. Not mine personally, but your guys' I've been watching. <laughs> um, but the reality is when you're in a church, you start to see a number of different people, right? And you start to recognize the more people you know, the more people you know that are struggling. The more people you know that are having problems. Like at any given time when we come here on Sunday morning, there's a portion of our church that is in the hospital, There's a portion of our church uh, that's in financial straits. There's a portion of our church that's in relationship issues. There's a portion of our church that might be incarcerated at any given time. There's just things that happen in people's lives. There's difficulties. The reality is this world is hard sometimes. We need that reminder that in the midst of all of that hardship, we have a God who loves us. Otherwise, we can become overwhelmed and I'm not going to say this for you, I don't know everything about your guys' life, but I can just say that for me personally. When I start kind of thinking through the prayer requests in this church and thinking that it's somehow God has, has given us the responsibility to minister to the people in this church who are struggling, man, that's hard. Sometimes as I, I look out in the, into the, in the room on Sunday mornings, I see faces of people that I've either been counseling with or I've been speaking to their family or their family's been speaking to me about you, right? Right? <laughs> Like I know stuff and all of a sudden what I'm about to teach just gets heavy all of a sudden. Like, whoa, man, this is an important moment when we approach the word of God. I want us to be able to have that firm foundation of knowing that we have eternal life. Just knowing that we belong to God, knowing that we're his people. So that's what we're going to look for as we go through this passage. In verse 1 it says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? That language there, that we would overcome the world, that overcome the world, that we would have victory in our faith. Now, these are terms that we kind of need sometimes because I think oftentimes in our faith and in our life, we feel a little bit defeated by our circumstances, We need these types of foundational things to remind us. Uh, The beautiful thing about this passage, though, as we start off this chapter today, uh, is just how simply tied up it is on this idea of belief and faith. It's not this long, difficult, arduous task to get to the point of knowing. Uh, In verse 1, and it's going to be kind of bookended in here, in verse 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. And then in verse 5, at the end of that first section there, who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. It's this idea of belief that overcomes the world. It's belief, he who believes. It wrapped it up there in verse 4. It summarizes the same concept there. Uh, This is the victory that has overcome the world our faith. If you jump ahead just a little bit in the same chapter to verse 19, you recognize that there has to be victory over the world, that there is this battle going on. In verse 19, it says this, that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So in addition to the everyday things, the physical things going on in this world, there's also the spiritual side of things, that Satan himself, the evil one, (coughs) desires to steal, kill, and destroy God's people. He wants to ruin God's kingdom in, in whatever way he can. There's this real deal spiritual battle going on that sometimes we get, uh, our, we get our minds off of. And it's easy to do because when you wake up in the morning, the first thing you're thinking to yourself is, I just got to brush my teeth so I can get this day going. Like you're just trying to get your tasks done. Like you're just trying to, oh, I brushed my teeth, but now I, now I got to make breakfast. Which means I got to brush my teeth again. <laughs> and then I got to get dressed and showered, not in that order showered and dressed. Be weird, right? And yeah, that's how tired you are, because you got dressed before you showered, and then you got to go to work, and then work has this whole new set of problems, and all of these things serve to be distractions from our faith. I'll tell you, one of the things that I've had to overcome in this world is laundry. That is a true battle, right? And I know nobody else has this problem, but I put my laundry in the washing machine just fine. I then completely forget I ever put it there, (laughs) and so I might have seven loads I got to do that day. I get one done because I forgot that I started this simple task, and so it never got moved over. And another—it's just those are the small things, right? But then you add to it finances. I got to pay my mortgage. I got to pay my car payments i got to pay health insurance. Oh, my goodness. Or if I don't have a health insurance, i got to decide whether I'm sick enough to actually go to the doctor or not. And so then you start asking your friends like they know. You're like, does this look infected? <laughs> you just see what I'm saying? Like just sometimes this world just kind of becomes overwhelming, but John's writing so that the overwhelmed can Overcome. There's something we have to keep in mind about this world. It's that it's temporary. Now, this will sound rude when I explain the whole story, but some of you will get it. Uh, we've started telling our dog he's temporary. <laughs> it's horrible, right? But here's the thing. He's just not the doggy that we had before. The dog we had before was pretty much the perfect dog. We probably didn't think that when we got him, but when he died, man, he's the perfect dog. And then when he died, they took his paw and they put it in this, what did they cast his paw for us and they mailed it to us? And then we get this puppy and my wife took his paw and said, you have big paws to fill, buddy. (laughs) Right? And so sometimes this dog is a good dog. He really is. Honestly, if we had never had the other dog, we'd think this is the best dog ever. (laughs) He's really a good dog. But like when we came home to a trash can knocked over last night, we reminded ourselves, this is temporary. (laughs) Let me tell you this about the rest of the problems in your life. They're temporary. They really are. They're temporary because this world is temporary. This is not our ultimate home. Our ultimate home is an eternal kingdom with God. And when we can keep our minds on that eternal home, it helps us get through the temporary stuff in this world. I was trying to preach this first service and I'm having to kind of not look at one side of the room (laughs) because I know that the person over on that side of the room at that time was just suffering physically. Like I know there's like physical suffering and there's like weeping going on while I'm teaching. And so I'm like, you know, I'm not going to tell you which side I was looking on. I don't want to give it away, but... (laughs) I'm like preaching and like, you know, trying to pretend I don't see him over there. There's a reality that they're in suffering, and that suffering might be long term, but it's temporary. Our faith, our belief in Jesus Christ, has given us victory over this temporary world and its temporary problems. But you need to know that you have that victory, or else your whole life is going to be like this. It's going to be ups and downs of the faith. I know that because I experienced that. I went through the ups and downs of faith. Had a good day today, I'm obviously saved and God loves me. Bad day today, I'm not so sure God even exists right now. Because <laughs> if he did, would he let me have a bad day, a great guy like me? <laughs> and sometimes our emotions, our circumstances, begin to drive our understanding of who God is and what's happening. And we start to blame God for our circumstances... And then we start to question, if my circumstances are bad, then maybe my God either must be bad or must not be at all. And so I went through that like everybody else. Even when I was in the ministry, I was having that struggle. And then in the midst of a deep struggle in my faith one time, where I'm crying out to God. I'm I'm praying, but it's more like screaming at God. There was just this moment where it was just like somebody took a a, a switch in my brain and he just clicked it. Where I just said, Wait a second. Even if everything else is bad, I know God is good. He doesn't stop being good because I'm experiencing bad. And it was like I went from a roller coaster to a highway in my faith. Like there was just this new stability there. I always explain it like this. I know I've explained it here before, but some of you might not have heard it before. I just give God the benefit of the doubt anymore. If there's something I don't understand, a question I can't answer, a circumstance that seems just too hard, a difficulty that I can't comprehend in the moment, I just say, look, God is still God and He is still good even though my circumstances aren't. Man, it gave me a foundation to stand on, a stability where I could deal with, not solve my problems, but I could live in my problems because I saw a future and a hope with a God who loves me. In this, in belief, in faith, is our victory. We have overcome this world that verse 19 describes as lying in the power of the evil one. Verse 6, we continue on, says this. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not with water only, but with water and with the blood. It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this. That he has testified concerning his son. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. And the testimony is this that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. These things I have written to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now he's telling that we can trust this because we have the testimony of God. That God has testified that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is the way to eternal life. Now, it's going to do that in a confusing way. It's going to talk about the water has testified, the blood has testified, the Spirit has testified, God in you is testifying. It's going to mention all those things, and those things get confusing. So before we talk about the confusing things, let's just be reminded of the important thing in this statement, that it's God Himself who has testified that we have eternal life in his son. If you need to know that you have eternal life, it's pretty good that the one who gives eternal life is the one who tells you. And God in his word is telling you, he's telling me, that in Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. That's where we can come to this place of knowing. Now, he is going to talk about these strange testimonies. Uh, These are the types of things that theologians love to discuss and argue and... uh, have a good old time with, but most people just read past them and like, we'll just pretend those verses weren't there. I don't know what they mean. Right? It's just easier. But it says that Jesus is the one who came by water and blood. Now, this is intending to answer a particular heresy that was happening at the time. Uh, When John was writing this, there was this beginning of a heresy. We previously talked about the heresy Gnosticism. Well, one of the branches of that heresy was that Jesus was just a regular schmo like you and me. Just walking through life, doing his thing, right? And then one day, he decides to give his life to God, and so he gets baptized. Regular schmo Jesus just gets baptized. And in that moment, the Spirit of God anointed him with divinity. And you remember that in his baptism, the Holy Spirit, it says, descended on him like a dove. And so they're saying in that moment, he was kind of coated in divinity. He was wrapped in divinity. And so for the years of his ministry, he lived like God. He lived as an example of God here on earth. But then right before the cross, since God can't die, the spirit left him. And that's why he cries out at the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So in that moment, he stopped being divine Jesus, and he went back to just being regular schmo like you and I. John says, no, this guy was born the Son of God, born of water. And he died the Son of God in blood. Jesus always was the Son of God. So the blood, the water, the spirit, these three testify. The spirit descending at his baptism testify. But more importantly is that God himself testified in this way. If you remember the baptism of Jesus, do you remember? It wasn't just that the Holy Spirit, who is God, descended on Jesus, who is God. But there was a voice heard. It was God. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Like there's just kind of this moment, and it happened a couple of different times in Jesus' ministry where God spoke up. John actually heard the voice of God. He heard the testimony of God saying, this is my son. Look, if God says that you have eternal life, then you have eternal life. And he said that everybody who believes in his son has eternal life. We need to lay this as the foundation of our faith. We need to move from being not sure, having a lot of questions, to this place where we can stand in full assurance because we trust the testimony of God. So this is what I'm going to ask you guys to do. And I don't know what you need to do to make this happen, but you need to get off the roller coaster today. And you need to get in the fast lane of assurance. Now, being in the fast lane of assurance does not take away any of your problems, right? But it gives you something solid to stand on in the midst of this evil world. So if you've got to write it in the column of your Bible, write it down. I have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord so I know that I am saved. I know that I have eternal life. Maybe you prefer not to write in your Bible. I've, so when you do funerals for people, you get to go see their Bible sometimes. They're like, here's their Bible. And, and for whatever reason, in particular, older ladies, their Bibles are packed with 473 bulletins. <laughs> each one with notes scribbled like circular around all the columns, every square inch. So if you need to write that on one of your bulletin notes, that's fine. Whatever you have to do to to make yourself sure in this moment, that you would know, that you would stand on that. Uh, There's actually great value in just remembering that moment where you made that profession of Jesus Christ as Lord. Just going back and saying, no, I'm not going to listen to Satan as he tries to convince me I'm not saved. I remember the day I made my profession of faith. I'm going to stand on that confession of faith in Jesus Christ. That's my stability. That's the one thing I will know for sure. I have Jesus Christ as Lord, and I will stand on that. Here's what I made first service do. I made them say it. (laughs) So I'll make you guys do it too. I have to be fair. (laughs) Just proclaim it. If you've confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, in a minute we'll say it all together. But I'll just have us all repeat together. I know that I have eternal life. So if you've confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, just say that along with me. Just settle it in your heart. Find that foundation. Are you ready? I know I have eternal life. It's because of my confession of Jesus Christ as Lord. I just know it. Let's move from the ups and downs, the roller coaster of our faith, to this level of stability. Let's cling to him for everything that our hope is found Entirely in our confession of faith. The testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. Verse 13, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This should build your confidence in your faith so that you can stand on that going forward. Look at this confidence, though, what it gives to you in verse 14. This is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, He shall ask, and God will for him give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that we should make request for this. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. So, before we talk about the confusing part, the sin leading to death, just read over that for a minute. And first, let's get the point that he's trying to make. Then we'll talk about the confusing stuff, right? The point he's trying to make, though, that because we know that we have eternal life, because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we know we have eternal life, that gives us confidence when we pray to God. It gives us a confidence that we can confidently pray to God. And listen to how confidently he says this. If we ask Anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked before him. We have confidence to request from God in prayer and know that he hears us and we receive answers to those prayers. Did you notice the one part I skipped while I repeated that verse back to you? According to his will. (laughs) See, this is where some people kind of get off track. Some people have a two-part version of this. I ask anything, Jesus gives it to me. And there's, there's doctrines out there where people just literally believe this. And it's, it's, you know, I'm praying for my Cadillac right now. I'm praying for a mansion. I'm praying for a million bucks. Uh, this pastor I listened to on the TV one time, it's my time for my thing for my God. My goodness, it's all about you, isn't it? <laughs> they like to skip over that according to his will part. <laughs> Remember when Jesus was uh, with his disciples and they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And in Matthew 6, he says, pray then this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They like to skip that thy will be done part. So this isn't saying to you, you can boldly with confidence stand before God and ask for anything you want and you will automatically get that thing because God is now just a big genie in a bottle and he owes you three wishes, or in the case of this, three bazillion wishes, everything you ever wanted. But it is telling us that in everything you bring to him, if you bring it to him, asking for his will to be done... He hears and answers those prayers. There's a difference in the way you approach it. I used to pray only the desires of my heart, which it's okay to have desires of your heart, and I still pray the desires of my heart. I just tack on this little piece, but not my will, thine be done. And it's different, and it's not as cool, honestly, as a genie that gives you everything you want. But it's right. To approach God in prayer then is not necessarily about changing His will to match yours, but a changing your will to match His. So when I take this long list of prayer requests, when I think about all the struggles and burdens that happen in any given church, and I bring those people before God, I'm asking for His will to be worked out in their illness, for his will to be done in their marriage, for his will to be done in their finances. It's his will to be done in the midst of their circumstances. Now, that's not to say that God never does the miraculous things you want. Sometimes he does. There's even an instance in the Bible where it says in the book of Exodus that Moses prayed and God changed his mind. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. (laughs) When you think about his mind and my mind, which mind would you rather follow, right? (laughs) So it's not that God is not listening. It's not that God isn't going to do the things that need to be done or powerful enough to answer any request. But we begin to conform our prayers to the idea of knowing that everything going on in our life, we can bring it before him and ask Him to have His will in those circumstances. Remember the Apostle Paul? He said, three times I prayed that God would remove a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan sent to buffet me. Three times he prayed, amateur. There's there's some things I've prayed for way more than that, right? Three times he prayed, but here's the key. God said, my grace is sufficient for you. So he continued to pray for the desire of his heart until God revealed the desire of his heart. And then Paul conformed to God's desire. So I might look at this and I can pray, God, I want to win the lottery. And I can pray that every single day over and over and over until finally God says one day, idiot, buy a ticket. No. (laughs) Until someday God says no. If God says no, stop praying it. That's the way I approach it. If somebody's sick, my desire is that they would be healed, but I surrender my desires to God's desire. Now, I'm going to continue to pray for them to be healed until they're healed or until God says no. We have a gal in the church that actually told me to stop praying for her healing. Because God told her no. And I said, well, he hasn't said anything to me yet. So, <laughs> And he hasn't healed her yet either, so I guess we know which one he's listening to. <laughs> but we have the God of the universe that hears us. And when we have these struggles and these burdens and these difficulties, all of those things that are wearing us down in this world, we have the ability to lift them up before the God of the universe. I don't know if anybody else is like this. I cycle on issues. Like through my brain, I know this looks like I'm making another sign here, but in my head, I cycle on things, right? Like I'll have this struggle, this problem that's going on, and I'll start thinking about it. And before long, it's the only thing I can think about. And I'm supposed to be studying for my sermon, but I'm thinking about this. And I'm supposed to be counseling somebody in my office, but I'm really just doing this. But in the back of my head, I'm thinking about this thing. And then I go to bed tonight, and I'm just going to be thinking about that thing, and it's going to cycle around. I'm going to fall asleep, but it's not going to matter because I'm going to wake up in a couple hours still thinking about that thing, just cycling on it. What I've discovered for me is when I'm woken in the middle of the night cycling on something that's bothering me, I get out of my bed, I go to the kitchen, and I pray, and I read my Bible. And it leaves my head. Sometimes I find the answer right there in Scripture. But sometimes as I pray, I've taken the thing that's messing with me, I've given it to God, who I trust, and I think to myself, left or right, whatever He does, His will is better than mine. I trust Him. So I've given Him this thing. Now, sometimes I go back to bed, I wake up an hour later cycling on it again. You know what I do? I get back up and I start praying again because I can trust that he's hearing my prayers and he's answering them. I may not always get what I want, but he's always answering because no is an answer, right? Sometimes God, if he's the boss, can say no. Well, let's continue on here with this idea now that we have confidence in our salvation Uh, we have to hit just quickly this idea of a sin leading to death. It says in there, I'm not saying that you pray for somebody whose sin is leading to death. And so the context here, he's going to now give us an example. Hey, if you pray something to God, he hears it, he'll answer that prayer. He'll give you the request you're asking, right? He then says, here's an example. Uh, Imagine you run across a brother who you recognize as sinning. Well, when we see brothers and sisters in Christ, sometimes we just, you know, move them from the naughty, from the nice list to the naughty list, right? Like, oh, hey, center, put him over there, we're done with that guy, right? But God's saying we should actually just pray about these things, right? And for that believer, that brother or sister in Christ who's involved in sin, that he will, it says, give them life. But there is some sin that leads to death. Instantly scary all of a sudden, right? Because immediately you're thinking to yourself, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. You've promised me eternal life, but now you're telling there might be sin that leads to death. So there might be some other traps I have to walk around here. So let me give you the quick, down and dirty, easiest way to understand this passage. I'll give you another version that other people have taken up, but I've kind of moved away from that version. Uh, The easiest way to understand a scripture is in the context of the book that it's written. So if I want to understand what John thinks about life and death... I would read in 1 John all the instances where he talks about life and death. Something interesting happens when you do that in all those instances, and I'll read verse 14 of chapter 3 because that'll be the one I'll use as the example. But in all those instances, he's talking about spiritual death or spiritual life. He says it like this. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. So in this sense, in the greater context of this book, as he's using a confession of faith in Jesus Christ, he's using our love for others as an evidence that we have eternal life. He's saying then that those that have no evidence of eternal life are likely in death. They have eternal death. It's a spiritual thing. So here's the way that plays out. If I run across somebody who's never made a profession of faith of Jesus Christ, I'm not going to pray that God forgives their sins. I'm not. Because there is no forgiveness of sins apart from Jesus Christ. My prayer changes that they would confess Christ as Lord. And then He would forgive their sins based on that confession Does that make sense? Do you see the difference between those two ways of viewing that? That it would go beyond just this idea of this genie in the bottle that everything is conforming to God's will. God's will is that salvation or life eternal comes from a confession of faith in Jesus Christ. That's the simple way. Uh, There is another way that speaks more of physical death. And there's some uh, scripture that you can attach to that uh, in the book of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit, dropped dead. Too late to pray for them. There's a sin led to death. Nothing you can do about it. What are you going to do, right? They're already in the presence of God. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 5, there's a guy who's sleeping with his uh, stepmother. Paul says, well, that ain't good. So they go through this process of confronting him. They kick him out of the church. And Paul says this, we're giving him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh in the hopes of the salvation of his soul. That as he's handed over to Satan, he'll get so sick of Satan destroying him that he'll eventually repent is the idea there. So you see that kind of coming up in throughout scripture. Uh, In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when we talk about communion, it tells us, To not take communion inappropriately because some are sick and some have even died. That they've come into communion without confessing their sin or as not believers in Jesus Christ. To take these things serious. So I don't want to separate entirely the idea that there might be something else going on there. But here's the way I've reconciled it in my mind. A nice little phrase, when in doubt, pray it out. Right? So if you don't know if that person's involved in a sin that leads to death, pray until you know. And then once you know it's a sin leading to death, whatever that might look like, stop praying. Stop praying for them to be forgiven of sins that they can't be forgiven of because they're not in Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a different way of looking at it, but it's just helpful to help you kind of get beyond that and not miss the point of what he's saying is that God hears and answers our prayers. Verse 18, uh, we're going to finish up with this. We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who has, was born of God keeps him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are born of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. So this wraps up, he wraps up the whole book with this reminder, but then this huge spiritual uh, uh, theological concept at the end. But just with this reminder that we know that we are from God. Now, some people get scared by verse 18. It says, we know that no one who is born of God sins. We've handled this in other sections. That's talking about a continual unrepentant sin. We know that believers sin because John said in 1 John, if you say you have no sin... You're a liar and the truth is not in you. So it's not that he's saying those who occasionally sin, it's those who refuse to repent of their sin is what he's getting at there. If you find somebody that completely, when confronted about their sin, continues to refuse to repent of sin, that person's not born of God. Eventually, the person of God will repent. Now, I will add this little caveat just on a practical sense. Be patient with people. I brought it up one time. He just keeps doing it. (laughs) Obviously, he's not of God. It takes time. It takes time to figure this stuff out. It's not easy. It's not easy to starve your flesh. That's not easy. It takes time. There's a patience involved in this. You would bear up under their burdens with them until it just becomes so clear it just becomes so clear that they have no desire to follow after God anymore. And then you just free them to do what they want to do, which is not follow God. That's the difference in this. But then he he wraps all that up there by reminding us that we know that we have eternal life in Jesus Christ. But then he gives us just this one quick line here that's intended to remind us of something powerful about Jesus. He hasn't really hit on this, but this idea that... Uh, that this is the true God and eternal life. This is the true God and eternal life. Well, look what that's wrapped in. We are in him who is, who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. This is one of those statements in Scripture that help us know that Jesus is not just some guy that walked on planet Earth. That Jesus is God, or as it says it in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That we're reminded that Jesus isn't just some guy who happened to do really well and kind of give us a picture of what God might be like. Jesus is fully God. That's who we worship as God. And if anybody brings to you a Jesus who is not God, there's a guy in Mexico right now named Jesus go figure, who claims to be the reincarnate, not the reincarnate. What does he claim? He claims that he is now Jesus on earth. But He's not God. It's fake. It's false. The Korean cult we talked about last week, it's fake. It's false. Any Jesus who is not God is an idol, and we have to guard ourselves from that. Well, my hope is that this book has encouraged you, has built you up in your faith, has helped you know that you have eternal life. It's given you a foundation to stand on. Uh, Next week, we're going to be in 2 John. Makes sense. 1 John, then 2 John. That works out well. Uh, If you get the chance, please read through this book. I would say read through it every day this week. Uh, And then if you really want to do some extra credit work, try to memorize 2 John verse 8. Uh, And then when you come back next week and you listen to the sermon, You'll have read through it seven times and you can be like, oh, pastor's wrong about that point. Boy, <laughs> guess he didn't read it seven times. Or you can be like, hey, he got one right. Uh, anyway, uh, let's go ahead and we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that we have uh, the, the book of First John here uh, to give us a promise and a hope and a future uh, to remind us that we stand on a firm foundation in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for your will to be done in the life of each person in this church. But we can see through this passage that if they're believers in Jesus Christ, your will is that they would come to know you, that they would know you in such a way that they would know that they have eternal life. For each of the believers here today, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen that foundation that they stand on, that you would remind them in the difficult days that even though we live in the midst of a difficult life, we have a future eternal life in you. Father, I pray for those who don't know you today. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be coming alongside them, drawing them to you through your word, that today would be the day They'd surrender themselves to you. And they would enter from death into life. Father, we thank you, we love you today. In Jesus' name, amen.